TED Audio Collective. Hi, it's Dr. Shoshana Ungerleiter, and you're listening to TED Health. In today's episode, we'll hear a recent talk given by Bill Gates on how we can make COVID the last pandemic. Then stick around after the talk as we explore why scientific findings seem to shift from month to month since the pandemic started, and why we can feel safe trusting science despite this. Canva presents stories to keep you up at night. It was an ordinary work day until... The Singapore presentation is at... (laughs) 3 a.m. The office was shocked. (laughs) That's when we sleep. Maya made it less scary with Canva. (laughs) I'll just record my presentation so Singapore can watch it anytime. Record and present anytime with Canva presentations at canva.com. Designed for work. This show is brought to you by Schwab. You're here because you like to keep a pulse on fitness trends. Well, now you can invest in what's trending in active lifestyle, healthy eating, wearable tech, and more with Schwab Investing Themes. It's an easy way to invest in ideas that you believe in. Schwab's research process uncovers emerging trends. Then their technology curates relevant stocks into themes. Choose from over 40 themes. Buy all the stocks in a theme as is or customize to better fit your investing goals. All in a few clicks. Schwab Investing Themes is not intended to be investment advice or a recommendation of any stock or investment strategy. Learn more at schwab.com slash thematic investing. Support for this podcast comes from The Wonderful Company. If that name doesn't sound familiar to you, you probably know the pistachios that come from this company. Wonderful Pistachios is one of the highest protein nuts. Get snacking and get cracking with a snack that packs a protein punch. I love the various wonderful pistachio flavors. So in addition to the original flavor, I'm particularly fond of the salt and vinegar. And I keep little packets of them in my car so that I can eat and get some protein on the run. Visit wonderfulpistachios.com to learn more. Add a little curiosity into your routine with TED Talks Daily, the podcast that brings you a new TED Talk every weekday. In less than 15 minutes a day, you'll go beyond the headlines and learn about the big ideas shaping your future. Coming up, how AI will change the way we communicate, how to be a better leader, and more. Listen to TED Talks Daily wherever you get your podcasts. In the year 6 CE, a fire devastated Rome. In response... Emperor Augustus did something that had never been done before in the history of the empire. He created a permanent team of firefighters. Augustus understood that individuals alone can't protect themselves from fires. They need help from the community. When one person's house is on fire, that creates a risk for everyone else's homes. And so what we've had these last few years is like a horrific global fire. The COVID pandemic has killed millions and upended economies. And we want to stop that from happening again. COVID, it's hard to overstate how awful it's been. It's increased 
the health inequities between the rich and the poor. Survival depended partly on your income, your race, uh, the neighborhood you lived in. And so we should seize this opportunity to create a world where everyone has a chance to live a healthy and productive life. Also, a life free from the fear of the next COVID-19. When I was on the stage in 2015, I was one of many people who said we weren't ready and we needed to get ready. We didn't. The speech actually was watched by a lot of people, but 90% of the views were after it was too late. (laughs) So now I hope the need is clear. And of course, we've learned a lot. Uh, During this pandemic, a lot of things worked well, a lot of things didn't work well. And so we have all that knowledge to build a prevention system. COVID-19 can be the last pandemic if we take the right steps. So how? What what are these steps? Uh, Well, let's go back and look at at what the Romans did. Uh, Think about how over time we've gotten good at preventing big fires. Fire prevention is kind of this pervasive thing. It's well-funded, it's well-understood. If an alarm went off right now, everyone here would know we're supposed to calmly gather, uh, go out and wait instructions. We'd know that help would be on the way because we have lots of trained firefighters who practice. The United States alone has 370,000 full-time firefighters, even more than uh, I guessed uh, that number would be. We also have access to water. The United States, for example, has almost 9 million fire hydrants. And so that type of investment, that type of practice, that type of uh, system is what we need to stop pandemics. Now, often in movies, we'll have pandemics, And I'm always impressed with what takes place. An outbreak's detected very quickly, literally within days. Uh, Doctors are dispatched. Uh, They have a helicopter to get into exactly ground zero. Uh, They go in there and they've got the right tools. And this is what should happen when an outbreak is spotted. But we don't have that team. We don't have those resources. And if if an outbreak took place in a low-income country... It could be literally months before we started to orchestrate those resources. So despite what you see in movies, there is no group of experts standing by to prevent this disaster. So we have to create a new team. I believe we should create what I call the GERM team. Uh, GERM stands for Global Epidemic Response and Mobilization. This group is full-time Their only priority is pandemic prevention. It's made up of a diverse set of specialists with a lot of different realms of expertise, epidemiologists, data scientists, uh, logistics experts, and it's not just scientific and medical knowledge. They uh, also have to have communication and diplomacy skills. The cost of this team is significant. It's over a billion a year uh, to support the 3,000 people who would be on this team. And its mission is to stop outbreaks before they become pandemics. The work would be coordinated by the WHO, 
Uh, They'd be present in many locations around the world, stationed in public health agencies. They'd work closely with the national teams, depending on the income level. You know, they'd have more in the lower-income countries. You know, for example, we could have germ members, say an epidemiologist, working out of the Africa CDC office uh, in Abuja. And a very important thing is that, like firefighters, a germ team would do drills. When you want to have quick response, when you want to make sure you have all the pieces there and you can move very quickly, practice is key. That's how you make sure everyone knows what to do. Now, this team, there could be periods where there's no risky outbreak, and they can keep their skills strong uh, by working on some of the other infectious diseases, but that would be a, a second priority. They would work with countries to strengthen their health systems. The health systems are the front line. You need to know if, say, a lot of people show up with a a new kind of cough, that's when germ needs to look into it and say, is this an outbreak? Is there a new pathogen here? What is the sequence of that? And so for all of this, the first 100 days are key. Viruses spread exponentially. And so if you get in there when the infection rate is fairly small, you can actually stop the spread. You know, in this epidemic, if we'd been able to stop it within 100 days, we would have saved over 98% of the lives. Now, we did have countries that did a good job. Australia is an example. They orchestrated diagnostic capacity. They came up with uh, distancing policies and quarantine policies. And so their overall death rate per capita will be well less than a tenth of other countries. But we did not, as a world, uh, contain it. And that's what we have to do next time. When COVID struck, we were almost like Rome before they had fire buckets and firefighters. Uh, We didn't have the people, the systems, or the tools we need. Now, with the right investments, we can have a whole new generation of tools, better diagnostics, therapeutics, and vaccines. A good example in the diagnostic area is this little machine called the Lumira. Uh, We can have these all over the world. It can test for any number of diseases. It's a tenth as expensive as PCR. It's absolutely as accurate, and it's simple, so it can be used anywhere. We need other R&D investments. One that I'm very excited about is the idea of a drug that you inhale that blocks you from getting infected. It can be pathogen-independent and trigger your immune system so that you'll be protected. A lot of the tools, the diagnostic tools and those uh, infection-blocking tools, are important because they can be staged in advance. Now, we also need vaccines, but we want to stop the outbreak before we have to do a global vaccination campaign. Uh, And so vaccines can play a couple of different roles, but not the primary role. We have to invest in more than just that. When we look at vaccines, they were the miracle of this epidemic. They saved millions of lives, but they can be far better. We need to invent easier to deliver vaccines that are just a patch you put on your arm or something that you inhale. We need vaccines that actually block infections. In this case, uh, there were lots of breakthrough infections. We need vaccines that are broad spectrum, so they work against most of the emerging variants. 
uh, which we did not have this time. And we also need factories that are standing by so we can build enough vaccines for the entire world within six months and achieve far better equity. The vaccines can also do something uh, that would be super helpful, which is to help us eradicate entire families of viruses. Uh, Innovative new vaccines used properly could get rid of the flu family, the coronavirus family. And there's a huge burden of those, even in non-pandemic years. And if we get rid of it, it, it can never cause a pandemic. So I'm talking about investments in three broad areas. Disease monitoring, that's germ. The R&D tools that are far better. And finally, and the most expensive, is improved health systems. This won't be cheap, uh, but it'll save lives and even it'll save money in the long run. It's uh, like an insurance policy. The cost to prevent the next pandemic will be tens of billions of dollars. But let's compare that to what we just went through. Uh, The IMF estimates that COVID has cost nearly $14 trillion. And so we need to spend billions in order to save trillions. And here's the best part of this. Even when we're not having an outbreak, these investments, like the Lemira, those new vaccines, they will make people healthier. They'll shrink the gap, the health equity gap, which is gigantic, between rich and poor countries. For example, uh, we can detect more HIV cases and and do a better job of treatment. We can reduce deaths from malaria. Uh, We can get more people high-quality care. And so this is not just a downer about how to stop things uh, from getting worse, but also a chance to make things better. If we take the right steps, we can make COVID-19 the last pandemic and we can build a healthier, more equitable world for everyone. Thank you. I have a few follow-up questions, and one is really about the formal status of germ. So you mentioned this would cost a billion dollars, you mentioned it comes through the WHO, but exactly, like, who's running this? How does this work? How do we make this happen? Well, germ does not exist. It's a proposal I'm putting forward that hopefully over the next year, while the pain of the pandemic is still clear in people's minds, We'll get a global consensus. The rich world governments will have to step up like they do uh, with all aid things and come up with that money. Uh, the way the personnel systems works so that it's under WHO, but a really top-notch team, there'll be a lot of debate about how to do that well. So, you know, I'm putting it forward and uh, hopefully within the next year, we'll get that consensus. Who do you need to pick that up next? Well, it's really the rich world governments. Um, You know, WHO has this big yearly meeting, the World Health Assembly, and at some point somebody will put forward a resolution and we'll see uh, if the the extra resources can be put in uh, for that. It's, you know, after World War II, we did a lot. You know, we created the United Nations. We talked a lot about wars. So I'd be stunned, although, you know, so far the action has uh, been less than I would have expected. I'd be stunned if we don't go forward with, something pretty close to to what I'm uh, laying out there. This has been pretty personal for you. You have, you know, the anti-vaxxers are out there, they are loud, and this has become personal. I just wanted to ask, like, how are you you managing that? Well, it's kind of weird. Uh... (laughs) (laughs) 
Now, our, our foundation, the Gates Foundation, is very involved in vaccines, the invention of new vaccines, funding vaccines, and we're very proud that uh, through joint efforts like Gavi, uh, that saved tens of millions of lives. So it's somewhat ironic to have somebody turn around and say, no, you know, we're using vaccines to kill people or to make money or you know, we started the pandemic. Even some strange things like that I somehow want to track you know, the location of individuals because I'm so deeply desirous to know where everybody is. <laughs> uh, I'm not sure what I'm going to do with that information. And, you know, does this turn into something where, you know, there's constantly crazy people showing up? Who knows? Uh, but, you know, hopefully as the pandemic calms down, people are more rational about, hey, vaccines are a miracle and there's a lot more we can do. This show is brought to you by Schwab. You're here because you like to keep a pulse on fitness trends. Well, now you can invest in what's trending in active lifestyle, healthy eating, wearable tech, and more with Schwab Investing Themes. It's an easy way to invest in ideas that you believe in. Schwab's research process uncovers emerging trends. Then their technology curates relevant stocks into themes. Choose from over 40 themes. Buy all the stocks in a theme as is or customize to better fit your investing goals, all in a few clicks. Schwab Investing Themes is not intended to be investment advice or a recommendation of any stock or investment strategy. Learn more at schwab.com slash thematic investing. You're growing a business and you can't afford to slow down. If anything, you could probably use a few more hours in the day. That's why the most successful growing businesses are working together in Slack. Slack is where work happens, with all your people, data, and information in one AI-powered place. Start a call instantly in huddles and ditch cumbersome calendar invites. Or build an automation with Workflow Builder to take routine tasks off your plate, no coding required. Grow your business in Slack. Visit slack.com to get started. Hey listeners, it's Dr. Shoshana. If it seems like the messaging around COVID has constantly been changing over the last two years, you'd be right. It has. But I want to assure you that that's actually how science works. Science isn't static. Actually, that's an understatement. Most people discuss science like it's a body of facts that a bunch of people in white coats sat down at a table and made up. But it's actually, in and of itself, a process. Scientific thinking is different from other kinds of reasoning in that it is systematic, and that allows the data gathered to be self-correcting, ever-refining. It's constantly evolving with our understanding of how things work. Scientists are regularly uncovering new information, and then we have to adjust our models for how our world works based on that, which means we don't always get it right the first time around. For scientists, being wrong is actually an important part of the process. You get closer and closer to the actual truth with each wrong answer. Unfortunately, that makes it hard to have absolute certainty about scientific findings, especially new ones. And most of us like certainty. I know I do, especially during a worldwide public health crisis. So what should you make of all the health recommendations that seem to come out every other day about when you should mask or what you should eat or how often you should exercise? Science is still unquestionably the best tool we have for comprehending the world and making the kind of critical advancements that save lives. 
And the fact that science does constantly evolve as new information comes in is a crucial part of that. Otherwise, we might stay stuck in old models of thinking. You probably remember the scientific method from high school, but here's a quick recap. We establish explanations. We call them theories about how the world works through observation and experimentation. First, we make an observation. Then we form a hypothesis. And then we gather data to test it. The more data we gather, the clearer the picture becomes. It's the refinement process that is so important and so challenging. Because in refining a hypothesis, the initial thoughts and assumptions can change. And when we're talking about something like COVID, expert recommendations can and do change. Like, remember early in the pandemic when we were sanitizing our groceries and letting packages sit for three days before touching them? That was back when we believed that SARS-CoV-2, the virus that causes COVID-19, might be transmissible by touching virus-contaminated surfaces, like countertops and chairs, or milk jugs from the grocery store. This belief was in part supported by research, which found that the virus could remain viable and infectious on surfaces for hours or even days. And that information created an understandable amount of concern. However, a microbiologist named Emanuel Goldman from the Rutgers, New Jersey School of Medicine made an important point in an editorial he wrote in 2020. He said these scary studies that kept suggesting that there was a real infection risk from surfaces actually didn't represent real life effectively. Researchers had started with a lot more virus than would normally be left behind by a human coughing, sneezing, or even talking. On the other hand, prior research on similar coronaviruses suggested that transmission from contaminated surfaces really wasn't a big risk. Goldman was eventually shown to be correct. Contact tracing work could almost never find any link where a contaminated surface clearly caused a COVID case. Today, we know that SARS-CoV-2 overwhelmingly spreads through inhalation of aerosols and small droplets that contain the virus. That's not to say that you shouldn't keep surfaces clean, because you'd probably rather not pick up a stomach bug that spread through touching surfaces, for one thing. But making that the focus of COVID-19 prevention efforts was a mistake. Masks, ventilation, social distancing, and of course vaccination would ultimately prove to be far more effective. Goldman's work, and the work of the scientists who later showed him to be right, is a shining example of good science. Goldman started with a theory. In general, contaminated surfaces are not how coronaviruses spread, and SARS-CoV-2 is a coronavirus. He then formulated a hypothesis— contaminated surfaces were not the major infection risk for SARS-CoV-2. And then came the part that most people call science, the data gathering and analysis. The nail in the coffin really was the contact tracing. At last, we could stop wiping down our groceries. So how do we get the messaging right when the science keeps evolving, especially in a fast-moving pandemic where it seems like everything is changing all the time? When science is updated and prevailing wisdom changes, what people tend to hear is just that the experts, the media, and other authorities were wrong, and maybe even shouldn't be trusted. And it's true that the government and the scientific community have made mistakes with pandemic messaging, 
And this is frustrating for all of us. In a pre-pandemic world, the process would be carried out over months or years. Identify a problem, evaluate, test, then make recommendations. But with a fast-moving global threat like COVID, taking our time before making recommendations isn't always possible. Sometimes it's just more important to share the most up-to-date information you have on hand the moment you have it, especially if lives are at stake. Sometimes, though, it's the reverse that happens. It's the world that changes, and we need science to help us catch up. Many of us rejoiced when the CDC said we could ditch our masks if we were vaccinated because there wasn't good evidence that vaccinated people really spread SARS-CoV-2. But then the Delta variant appeared, and vaccinated people were getting infected more often. Even though they were way less likely to get infected, early data suggested that they could still spread it if they caught it. So the CDC had to reverse course, and so did we, to stay safe. So the challenge for the experts is making the best possible recommendations while communicating that they might change. And the challenge for everyone else is to understand that science is constantly evolving, And what we think we know might change from week to week, month to month, or even year to year, and to learn to be okay with that uncertainty. Corrections aren't failures. They're advances, and each one gets us one step closer to the truth. Then when the world changes, and we have to update our thinking again, science gives us the tools to do that too. So maybe you can think of scientific recommendations like the weather forecast. You checked it last night, and it said it would be sunny. But then you checked it again this morning, and they're calling for rain. It's not that the meteorologists were lying before. It's that the data changed, and they're putting out a new forecast to reflect that. It can be frustrating, sure, but that doesn't mean you should ignore a hurricane warning. Thanks so much for listening today. This episode was produced by Transmitter Media and fact-checked by Ted. And special thanks to Anna Phelan, Sammy Case, Grace Rubenstein, Maria Lagis, and Colin Helms. I'm Dr. Shoshana Ungerleiter. Stay well, and I'll talk to you next week. Support for this show comes from Brooks. I've really gotten into running this year, so I have to tell you about the Ghost 16 from Brooks, because this shoe is kind of a game changer. I found the cushioning to be next level comfortable. It's incredibly soft, yet surprisingly lightweight. It's literally comfortable every time my foot hits the pavement. The Ghost 16 from Brooks isn't just a shoe for me, it's a daily boost for my runs. Visit brooksrunning.com to learn more.